So there you go. I want to read verse 34 one more time. It says, we do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to picture Jesus holding a sword. I mean, I've seen pictures of Jesus with little children. I've seen Jesus with a picture he was holding a little sheepy sheep in his arms. But I've never seen Jesus with a sword. In fact, he actually told one of his disciples to put away his little pig sticker one time. He told that to Peter. Just kind of hard. You know, we're so used to seeing Jesus as kind of a meek and mild person that uh, to think of our Lord with a sword is kind of difficult. It sounds uh, too violent. It sounds too extreme. Uh, frankly, Jesus with a sword sounds pretty dangerous to me. So why would Jesus carry a sword? Well, the answer is very simple. He carries a sword so that he can divide humanity. He wants to make it clear uh, who is on his side and who is not on his side. Uh, He wants the world to know who is on Team Jesus and who chooses not to be on Team Jesus. Now, it's pretty obvious today in our culture today, what's going on in America, indeed, what's going on around the world today, that some people who aren't really on the team are still wearing the jersey. It's not uncommon to see somebody on television having a big crucifix hanging around their neck, espousing some of the strangest, weirdest, non-godly, non-biblical I got plenty of words I could put in there, but I'm not going to use them. It just kind of really aggravates me. But the time is rapidly approaching, I think, when we all really have to take even more of a stand than we've taken in the past. See, this text forces us to think about whether or not we want to be on the Lord's team when the going gets tough. It's pretty easy to be on the Lord's team when everything is happy-clappy. There's no doubt about that. Now, there are three great movements in this text. That's what I'm going to take you through this morning. It starts with a confession. It leads to division. And then it comes back to a decision. And so today, Jesus is asking all of us. So I want you to understand this is, this is a question for each and every one of you. It's a question I've wrestled with all week long for myself. And it's, how far are you willing to go with me? How far are you willing to go with me? So let's start with a confession. This is verses 32 and 33 again. It says, so uh, everyone who acknowledges, in other words, confesses me before men, I will also acknowledge or confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, or some versions say who disowns me before men, I will also either uh, disown him or deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty stark. That's black and white. That's why it's black and white on screen, I guess. So it's pretty clear that if you call yourself a Christ follower today, We need to confess, in other words, acknowledge Jesus how? Publicly. Publicly. It doesn't doesn't say that you can't worship in private, but publicly people ought to know who you're talking about. See, confess Jesus publicly before or in the presence of men in this world. And if we're not going to be public about our allegiance to him, we can't expect him to be public about his allegiance to us. Now, we had a big hoop foray a few years ago when some athletes chose not to stand and pledge allegiance to the flag. Instead, chose to ignore it. Remember what that all brought about? More division. 
Well, guess what? I think if we all stood up and we pledged allegiance to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it causes a certain amount of division. Not everybody would appreciate that. Not everybody wants to have a prayer before every football game or every basketball game or whatever. That's why it's kind of interesting going to sporting events at College of the Ozarks. Uh, they don't compete against all Christian schools. A few of them are public schools, and I'm not saying there aren't Christians in public schools, and I'm not saying that there aren't pagans in Christian schools. But I know the way every event, whether it be a volleyball game, a basketball game, or whatever it is, starts with a pledge to the flag, singing the national anthem, and then a prayer. And you can see people that seem a little bit uncomfortable, uncomfortable with it. And, and I'm, I'm saying by and large, the people at College of the Ozarks don't feel uncomfortable with it because that's who they are. See, everyone Jesus called... He called publicly. There's really no such thing as a, what, secret Christian. At least not in the permanent sense. It's a contradiction in terms. I mean, to be a secret Christian would be kind of an oxymoron. So every individual Christ follower, that would be all of us here today, anybody else you, you call a Christian, uh, should supply enough evidence, uh, evidence that could be seen by this world, that they're indeed somebody who follows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's kind of sad that there's so many modern-day Christians, again, uh, if arrested uh, for the crime of following Jesus and tried in court, would probably be dismissed for lack of evidence. Now, there's two contrasting Bible passages that came to mind as I thought about this. One of them is in the book of Titus. And uh, Titus, I don't know if they're on the screen or not, but Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by what? By their works. They are, and then he goes on, says, these people are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any kind of work. That's pretty harsh. Or in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you do what? If you confess or profess or talk about with your mouth, that what? That Jesus is Lord, and actually believe that in your heart, that God did what? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes, and is justified, made right, and with the mouth, one confesses, and one is saved. And that's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Well, let's go to the, this confession now leads to a division in verse 34. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, when I read that again, as I'm studying through this, I'm thinking, do we want a non-controversial Jesus? Would we like kind of a little milk toast Jesus, a little namby-pamby Jesus who doesn't ruffle anybody's feathers? Well, if so, you're going to need to look somewhere else other than in the Bible. Uh, my God, my Jesus, uh, my Jesus who made himself a whip and beat the pajabbers out of a bunch of people in the temple one time is no, no namby-pamby kind of guy. Pretty straightforward. You know, when he can look somebody in the face and say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, if I'd have been a disciple, it was like, oh, man, in my face. I don't know, do you want a non-controversial Jesus? If so, like I said, 
Find another book, because it's all in the Bible. The gentle Jesus who smiles in all the pictures that we paint of him or makes everybody feel happy, clappy, um, bears no resemblance really to the mighty son of God who came to bring this sword of judgment. Now, does he bring peace? Yeah. I don't want you to think of Jesus as just being some evil, wicked, bad, nasty guy who's just out there with a sword and just looking to to cut a bunch of uh, people to pieces. But he brings peace. But the peace that he brings one day is going to entirely cover the earth when he comes back. It's going to cover the earth. But guess what? 2023 is not this day. At least, unless he, in his sovereignty, he decides to end it today. Now, we're going to sing a song a little bit later called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Um, and, and in that song, it says, This day, the noise of battle, the next, the victor's song. So right now, you and I are, are in the midst of a battle, whether we know it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. It can be difficult at different times. I mean, as nice a guy as I am, there are a few people who know when I sit at Hollister Coffee Company, go sit on the other end. I, I can almost feel it sometimes. They go, uh, no, I know that. <laughs> He'll bring Jesus up or something like that. Now, I, I don't do that intentionally. I don't bring it up. Uh, like, if you're going to sit at my table, you, you, we're going to dig deeper into the Word and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. But sometimes people will kind of stick, say a little bit away of you just because they know what you might want to talk about. Well, that's okay. So, what do we say? Uh, today, we fight. Uh, today, we put on the whole armor of God. If you're going to go into battle, you might as well put on the whole armor of God. I bought my grandson a t-shirt a long time ago that on the front, it said, don't fight naked. And on the back, it said, put on the whole armor of God. I think it, I don't know if he ever wore that much. I mean, our daughter, he wore it a little bit. He liked it. I'm not sure his mom liked it all that much, but it was a good point for him to make. So today we stand up for Jesus, uh, knowing that not everybody will cheer us when we do. It's kind of like all hands on deck, uh, man the battle stations, uh, you know, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. I had a friend once tell me that well-behaved Christians rarely change the world. Kind of interesting. And so don't be surprised when close friends actually oppose you or that family members ridicule you or don't want to bring up anything where you think you might be bringing the Bible into this whole situation. Now, Jesus said it would be this way. Uh, The truth about Jesus kind of cuts both ways. It's kind of interesting. That sword both cuts and heals at the same time. Uh, Maybe some of you have been through this. I mean, one brother believes, the other one rejects Jesus. Um, A father follows Jesus. Mother could care less about it. Twin sisters uh, part ways over the gospel. Uh, Some of your closest friends uh, and relatives don't understand why you really believe in Jesus or go to church every Sunday or whatever. Uh, Some some of your friends and relatives may be openly hostile to you. Uh, But guess what? I mean, converts from Islam uh, often experience that truth in real personal uh, terms. When they mention Jesus... They're as good as dead. See, following Jesus doesn't necessarily make you popular in many parts of this world. That's the division. But here's the third point. The division leads to a decision. 
Now, again, reading verses 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here again, Jesus says some pretty hard things to those of us who choose to follow him. He said, you need to love me more than your parents. And that just kind of, I don't know how you feel about that. I, you know, being raised by my grandparents, I thought, well, okay, I wonder if that includes grandparents. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, you know, if you love your children uh, more than me, and uh, I dearly love my children and my grandson, but I don't want them to be on the top shelf. Um, that's not quite where they say, well, Dad, you treat us all the same, like dogs. Uh, <laughs> no, they don't say that. You know, but they, they know what's important in life. And so when you take up a cross and follow Jesus, you can lose your life or you can find it. So there's some really hard things that Jesus says, and sometimes we struggle with it. Maybe something we need to talk about during talkback time today. Things we struggle with that Jesus said. That'd be a whole new series, wouldn't it? Things that Jesus said that don't seem to make much sense. Maybe you can do that one time, Jeff, when I'm gone. You, you cover it for me. So the question is, which will it be? See, in many ways, it's kind of hard to understand these verses here. If you love your parents, they're hard to understand sometimes. If you love your children, sometimes they're even harder to understand. And perhaps the best way to think about it is just to concentrate on the last part of this verse. It talks about saving or losing your life. What do you want? Save it or lose it? Save it or lose it? Flip a coin or what? Uh, another passage from the New Testament. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, What is your life? Anybody know how that ends? He says, What is your life? He said, You're like the morning mist. It's there for a little while, then it's gone. I don't know how many of you did this. I grew up in Nebraska where it's cold, and I imagine you could do it down here. I haven't thought about doing it for a long time. But, you know, houses really were great, well insulated and everything, but do you ever go up to the window in the middle of winter and go, <sighs> blow on the window? And you, you created a fog, and you immediately you know, put a heart there with your loved one or something, or you put it in there and you tried to write your name before it all disappeared. Life's like that. Life's like that. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 6 says, uh, we're like grass on the prairie. Uh, we spring up. Uh, we quickly disappear. In the morning, we flourish. We're renewed. In the evening, we fade and we wither away. So we're not here very long. I don't know if you all know who Charles Barkley is, former uh, professional basketball player, commentator. I, I like the Chuckster. <laughs> Uh, he, he said this about aging athletes. He said, Father, time is undefeated. That's kind of good. Or I read someplace else, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. Or George Bernard Shaw, we want more. The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Hebrews 9.27, one more. It's appointed unto man once to die. You know, if we live long enough, God doesn't come back, we're going to die. That, that, that may seem like a downer, and maybe it is to some people, but it's the sober reality. In fact, 
I, I got curious this last week, so I googled this question. How many people die every day? How many people do you think die worldwide every day? It's pretty crazy. 166,324 per day. That's 6,930 people die per hour, 116 per minute, or 1.93 per second. Stats like that, I don't know, kind of numb your mind. I find it easier to think about, this is another quote I found by Emily Phillips. She said, so I was born, I blinked, and it was over. That's our life. We're just a mist. You've all probably been to a cemetery. You see tombstones. What do you see on the tombstone? Well, typically you see a name, and you see a uh, date of birth, and then you see a date of death, and it's got this little dash in between. Now, just think about that for a moment, that dash in between birth and death. Maybe the time between that is 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or 80 years. And so that little dash, what is, what, what's that dash mean? Well, that's all the hard work you ever put in in life. It's all of the laughter. It's all of the tears. It's all of the traveling. It's the many times you pack up a house and you move. It's getting married. It's raising a family. It's building a career. It's moving from Bolivia to Harrison, Arkansas. I mean, it's all that stuff that's in that little dash in there. It's building a nest egg. It's rehabbing your house. It's getting a second horse or third horse or a whole tribe of horses or how many horses or whatever it is. It's planning retirement. And then one day, death is knocking at the door. So what do you have to show for those years? Well, this. (laughs) You got that dash to cover your entire life. So the question I'm asking, you probably, why am I talking about that stuff? Well, what are you doing with your dash? That would have been a great title for a sermon today, too. What are you doing with your dash? Well, more than a half a century later, many people, I still remember a guy by the name of James, uh, Jim Elliott. I don't know if you remember him. He he took a bunch of uh, missionaries down into uh, the Amazon to minister to the Aka Indians, and there he he was killed. But he said something that is always kind of stuck with me. He says, no, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, I thought about this song today, Mary Evelyn. We say, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. That's our life. Now, ISIS actually understands that. Maybe better than we do. That You know, you know what ISIS calls Christians? People of the cross. Isn't that interesting? They actually know we're people of the cross. That's why they crucify many of their victims. They understand following Jesus always leads to a cross. So if you try to save your life... You're going to lose it. If you lose your life for Jesus' sake, guess what? In the end, you're going to have it. So the question is, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Well, that's a question all of us have to make up our mind about. Let me go back to the founder of the Lutheran Church. I don't quote Martin Luther or quote Lutheranism very often in this place. 
But Martin Luther had something rather interesting to say. It had, it's in the hymn. I think it's in the Mighty Fortresses Our God. But he said, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. So when we look at the world today, we can find a lot of reasons to be discouraged. I'm not opposed to news, but I sometimes think the more news you actually watch, the more discouraged you can be about today's world. I mean, today's world is a very troubling world. I mean, we can't figure out... I mean, it still boggles my mind that we got more than just boys and girls. I, I just I, I can't get, wrap my head around that, that there's other genders out there. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry. Um, you look at it, and Christians are under attack worldwide, and they're under attack in America. Uh, Christians who stand up for something in public are shouted down or cursed or or whatever. But, you know, if we believe the Bible and if we're Christians at all, we should not despair over that. Now, I, I got to think, there, there's no Supreme Court decision that can put Jesus back into the grave. No terrorist attack can reverse the resurrection. They can burn down our churches, but they cannot get rid of the gospel. Just that simple. If you think about it, the church was born on the wrong side of history to begin with. We've been on the wrong side of history ever since Rome, and it was enough to turn the world upside down. So we're not the first generation who's had to deal with nonsense in this world. I mean, just talk to our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, you all know I talked about it last week, Christ for India. I've been part of that for many, many years. Currently serve as their vice president. And when you hear the stories about going on about the churches over there being... You know, I told you last week about how many churches they built. We could also talk about how many of those churches have been burned down. Uh, we talk about many people that came to faith in Jesus, but we also talk about how many of those people were killed or chased out of their village into the trees and then murdered out there with their entire families. And yet, Jesus won the victory. Uh, he's risen. He's risen indeed. No one can put Jesus back in the grave. So that's why I, I tell you that, that God is not surprised, surprised by the Supreme Court. He is not floored by Planned Parenthood. Uh, he's not intimidated by terrorists of any kind that you can come up with in our country today. After all, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're preaching a risen Christ who's coming back soon. And I pray all the time, the sooner the better. We preach a Christ who will save anyone and everyone. We preach a Christ who will rule ultimately over all the nations. That will be the only time we have a true United Nations, when Jesus comes back and gathers them all together. <laughs> every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's why Jesus said, in the interim, in the dash, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, no one ever said it would be easy. I've never had anybody say Oh, guess what, Pastor? Or guess what? Someday when you're a pastor, it'll be easy. No. I think all of you could probably point to some time in your life that being a Christian wasn't the easiest thing to be. For one reason or the other. But following Jesus isn't fun and games. Uh, sometimes the path seems steep, hard, dangerous, and still you got Jesus who 
says, follow me, follow me. So here's the question for the message today. How far are you willing to go with Jesus? How far are you willing to go with Jesus? Well, for me, this is what I wrote on my paper. Jesus, may I never be ashamed to follow you, even when the road leads to a cross. Amen.